0: Hello, welcome to the Wallow Premier League preview show. I'm John Townsend. I'm Declan Debarb. Is Arteta out starting to gain momentum once again? Chelsea's mid-season collapse might have already started, and it's Steven Gerrard's return to, to Anfield. A lot of talk about heading into this weekend, so let's start the show. And starting off, what could be a great clash between two of the smaller sides in the Prem as a great appetizer for this weekend, Watford at Brentford, Friday at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Really lucky in Canada having these games on in the afternoon, being able to work, chuck on a game, just relax with that in the afternoon. But Watford coming to this one have had three consecutive losses after the only firing performance against Manchester United. And in those three games, they've conceded nine goals coming against Manchester City, Chelsea, and Leicester City. So two... excuse me three pretty good oppositions and they've also scored 20 goals so although they're letting a lot in they are firing a lot back the other way and if you look also around Watford in the Premier League table that's a decent amount of goals to have at this point of state uh, at this point of the season well above the uh, the people around them so can Watford stop their string of losses against Brentford this weekend Declan what do you think
1: um, you know, they
0: have been playing well, as, as
1: you mentioned, and Claudio Ranieri is, is there. And the man will always have a soft spot in, uh, in my heart, not only because of what he did at Leicester, but uh, the things that he's done at some of the Italian clubs like Fiorentina, uh, at, uh, at Roma. And I mean, you just pick an Italian club and he, he's managed there, <laughs> there basically. But, um, you know, I think, I think Wat, Wat heard of a lot of good things going for them. It's going to get tight down there at the bottom. We'll talk about Burnley a little bit later. You know, there's Newcastle and and Norwich who seem to be playing, who seem to be turning a corner. So um, I think things are going to get really tight, and this is a game that they that they need to win. Brentford haven't been great recently. They've uh, they've hit a little blip in form. I think the teams are starting to figure them out a little bit, and I don't know, John. I think that Watford have some of the savvy that they've needed and a
0: fine operator in Claudio Ranieri. Exactly. Coming into the season with the former manager, the guy only managed in Hungary, I think, for a year. Not Greece. much experience. Excuse me? Greece, I believe. Greece. Greece. I thought it was a smaller nation than Greece, actually. But either or, not the required expertise for a Premier League club. Uh, I think that was proven out for the first bit of the season. And bringing in a guy like Claudio Ranieri, who has done the impossible. He's won the Premier League with Leicester. The second season didn't go off terribly well. However, considering it was a Leicester City squad that the previous year was, what were the odds for them to win again? 200, 201? 2001. 2001? Like, insane odds for the, for the Premier League. For them. For him to overachieve and win it with Leicester, you can make the argument he kind of deserved a bit more time with that squad uh, moving forward. So is a good, solid manager who has experience in the game. He can kind of come in and be the adult in the room. And I think... Moving forward, he could probably lead, lead Watford to safety. But looking forward at this match, Brentford has had quite a lot of its defense injured uh, since the end of October, with David Ryer and Christopher Ayer both, uh, both out to injury with the latter overturning probably at the end of this month. So to have a Brentford team that is a bit shaky at the back, I think this Watford team could probably get at them a bit this weekend. But these are two... Squads who are pretty evenly matched, and I think could be a really great game to start off this weekend. You know, four points apart in the table, down right at the bottom. Brentford in thirteenth, and
1: Watford seemed staple gun to seventeenth uh, this season. But you mentioned that Brentford have given up a lot of goals in in their past four four or five matches. You know, they gave up two to Leeds, two to two to Spurs. They they kept a clean sheet against Everton, but uh, you know, I think uh, we've talked a lot about Everton on this show and a lot of their struggles, so maybe not the most telling result, but then they gave up three to Newcastle and two more two more to Norwich. So worrying times at Brentford, as you mentioned, a lot of their defense is hurting their goalkeeper, David Spraya is looking like he's going to be out long-term. I saw him in a, a knee cast. I'm not quite sure what what happened to him, but a big loss back there. Um, this is This is almost a, a must-win game, especially when you consider Brentford's next couple of matches they host they host united on tuesday and then it's off to southampton brighton and manchester city before before the new year so a huge game for brentford and one where i really think that they need to at least draw if not win they've got to start creating some space down there at the bottom as as the as the competition starts to starts to get a little bit more difficult
0: they really do. And actually moving on to a team that could be joining them in the bottom soon, Southampton at Arsenal. Speaking about Southampton there, don't worry, Gunners fans, you're a little bit further away from the bottom at this point. But talking about Arsenal, they, although they're well above the relegation zone, they have lost two in a row against United and Everton. And in the last five matches, the only wins they've picked up have come against recently promoted Watford, who we were just talking about, and a could-be-relegated Newcastle United, although they did win last weekend. Could this match against relegation threatened Southampton be a must-win for Arteta to kind of keep the, the heat off his back? You know, it, Mikel Arteta is the perennial yin and yang
1: of the, of the Premier League. Either he's going to get fired or he's an absolute tactical genius, right? It seems, it seems like this is the conversation we have. Every, every time he puts together a good, a good run, we're like, he's, he's the savior. He's, he's Pep's prodigal son.
0: It's and, a result of being an Arsenal manager it's mind-blowing
1: um you know I do think that this game against Southampton is a good opportunity I don't know if I'd call it a must win but uh, we've talked about how important their next match is against, against uh my West Ham so I think that building some momentum here will be important I think it it's been lost in the conversation of how bad Norwich and how bad um Newcastle are or are, are, have been this season about just how bad Southampton have been. So this is a real opportunity for, for Arteta's team. I think his more pos- heavily possession-based style favors, favors going up against it. We saw at times against United that they looked very comfortable playing out of the press. And that's something that I think we'll expect from, from Southampton in this one. It should be a good game. And I really think a real chance for, for Arsenal to, to show their might. But they were bad. They were bad against Everton. They looked horrible. And so it's really a question of which
0: Arsenal squad we'll see, right? Exactly. The only real chance they generated, other than that that great uh, Odegaard goal, but I, I wouldn't even say that was a fantastic chance they created at the time, but the only one that they really mustered was the uh, Eddie and Katia miss around the 85th, 86th, 87th minute mark, where wide open, wide open goal, he just hit the post and then went off a shoulder and out of bounds really really close miss but that was kind of all they created it was Everton going with every single other opportunity in a match it seems like and looking forward they kind of got to sort out the offense because looking at the star man from a couple seasons ago Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang he's gone past three matches I want to say with a incredible miss of just poor finishing where he's had an opportunity presented to him. So platter the first one came against Newcastle in the match that they won. But still, a great miss, a, a great chance for him to get the monkey off his back and start scoring again at that golden boot clip he's been at before. And he just blew that opportunity. blew blew another one in the next match, and then and then he had a massive miss to potentially tie the game against Everton that he's going to be seeing in his uh, sleep for a while. But can they somehow find that? golden boot winner in in Aubameyang or is it just gonna end up with another Mesut Ozil type contract at the Emirates it's really difficult because as you mentioned Aubameyang has shown that he still has
1: this quality it's just it's just about finding it and you know I think his legs just have go, have left him a little bit because he's a little bit older now and pace was always his strongest attribute but he's an excellent finisher I, I think it's easy to forget that he won the golden boot but He was so good that that season that he did. The chances he put away, it was incredible. He just hasn't looked that way since. I don't know if that's, you know, partly to do with the system he's playing in and and Arsenal. But when you're such a young team as Arsenal is, having these players that can, you know, dispatch a chance like that is, is absolutely crucial. I think that these Ozil contracts you speak of are about players of a different ilk than Aubameyang is I think that strikers will always be valuable but the the danger is pre-COVID contracts are look like an albatross and I think that's something we'll start to consider more and more um, in the modern era but uh you know it's not looking good he's got to find the back of the net I I agree with you there it's him or Aubameyang who have to or it's him or Lacazette who have to start scoring
0: Mm-hmm. And like, as that's been in all right form, it's nowhere near as atrocious as Obama Yang's performed in the past uh, month or so. And I'd say the best case scenario for Arsenal is if it kind of ends up like the David De Gea contract, where De Gea is overpaid, no questions asked. He, he got that contract after a superhuman season he had, I want to say 2016 17. He had, he had that year 15 16. But yeah, 15, in, 16, that, in, that, in that range. Exactly. And Got that contract. or was well-deserved. We were fighting off interest from in Real Madrid to kind of keep him there. Arsenal fans, where do you think that's a little familiar with Aubameyang? But signed him thinking, worst-case scenario, he's still going to be the starter in five years from now. And he then he then just started performing poorly. Kind of got it back, sort of, now to where he's a... I'd say top... He's definitely in the top 10 of Premier League goalkeepers, but maybe top five... We have that conversation another day for how high up De Gea is on that list, but that's the best case scenario. The reason why I say potentially Mesut Ozil is, you've had this type of situation before, where it's a guy on a massive wage who is just not performing on the pitch and seems to be confidence seems to just be falling off him with each passing week. I don't know if the answer is you're facing Southampton, a Southampton squad who. Defensively hasn't been absolute gangbusters as they've they've allowed 21 goals so far this season. Could you g- maybe give him a start to try and kick the tires on Abamian and get some of that confidence back, or is it just keep on bringing him off the bench, giving him bit parts minutes here and there? I think
1: I think that Obamiang is a player who needs to start, and that's really where his strength lies. But also, you're right that you mentioned that Southampton's defense hasn't been great, and I think that Southampton's defense in transition has been expe- especially poor. Something that uh, you know we've seen from time to time from a Hassan Houdel squad. So I think that this might be the right match for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to come in and, and get one, and especially the kind of player he is, I think he just does need one or two goals under his belt to get things firing again. He seems to be a player that's that's low on confidence and one that once it comes to him, he'll start to find his his scoring boots, and he'll start to finish uh, once again. And, you know, Arsenal have been getting goals from players like Martinelli and Odegaard, Emil Smith-Rowe. So it's not like they haven't been scoring, but to get a player like Aubameyang firing again will be important. And I think that part of that is him actually starting matches, playing a full match, and, and getting not up to match fitness, but getting into the flow of a match, if you will.
0: I think that's exactly right, though, about Aubameyang, about how he needs to grow that confidence back. And it's kind of the same thing with the Southampton unit, as under Hasselhutl, there seems to be a constant drop-off in the last 15 minutes of matches, where the Saints just don't really seem to have anything left in the gas tank. So far, they've conceded seven times in the last 15 minutes of matches, including twice in the last three matches, which were against Norwich and Brighton. Do you think that things might have potentially run its course with, with Hasselhutl?
1: That's, that's what it feels like, it- it just doesn't feel like the team has i don't know is the right word mojo that that the, the team doesn't have any mojo anymore yeah baby you know there was all this positivity when hasan joined southampton from rb leipzig where you know he's the next he's the next great one he he brings that modern german style that we saw work so well under under <laughs> under under jürgen klopp and and you know it just hasn't worked out it it just hasn't worked out they looked so good two seasons ago until they, until they dropped off. They've been drubbed nine, nothing twice. And, you know, when is, when is enough enough going to, to prove that this is not really working? Um, I think that Hassan hudel has taken the squad as far as he can. You've mentioned um, the, the losing points from winning positions. And I think it speaks to a manager who has a specific tactical style but doesn't have much of a deviation from it that maybe his squad isn't necessarily built for his purpose, but he's been there for quite some time and he should have been able to put that in place. I think his midfield is a little weak. He he doesn't have the help of Danny Ings anymore, which is a major loss. Um, We saw what happened when he went down last season with an injury, what that really did to the Southampton squad. Um, No Yannick Vestergaard is a problem as well for this team. And, it just doesn't look like it's a it's a cohesive unit, as as you said. I think that, you know, the experiment with Hassan Hoodle has done its bit to keep Southampton in the Premier League. They played some exciting football, but, you know, I don't I don't know how much how much further he can take it, and I don't think that lack of belief is some only something that I'm feeling. Um, I think the players show that they are kind of losing losing the plot in that dressing room. And that's not to say he's losing the room or anything, but just that they've heard the same message over and over and over again for three years. Not every manager is Sir Alex Ferguson, right? Um, the, the message wears off eventually. You get tired. You just, you just want to drop off. And in a system like Hassan Hills, you just can't. It's not an option or you'll lose.
0: Yeah, and just looking from a squad building standpoint, has to a guy who likes mobile, mobile fullbacks, who likes um, uh, center backs, who can run with the ball, who can pass the ball, who likes a very high intense style. He's nailed some of them, uh, nailed some of them. Like the, the the Armstrong signing over the summer, great signing. He's, wor- he's worked out really well. Trey Adams as well. Although he's been shaky at times with, in terms of his, his finishing, I think there is a good striker in there, but to go back to the the drum I was beating over the summer, Mohamed Salisu is a god at centre back, but he's a god in a system that allows him to be a god. This system does not allow him to be a god. In the in Haselhuhn system, he wants centre back who can who can run with the ball, who can pass, who has the playmaking ability of of a Van Dijk, of a Laporte, of a Diaz. That's not Salisu. He is not. he's not a guy you want running with the ball at all. What you want him to do is be an old school center back. I'm going to win every single aerial possible. I am going to get just get in there hard-crunching tackle. He's an old school center back. And to decide to bring him in, yes, for the money, he was a great, great option to buy. Because I think they got him for like less than 10 million pounds. Fantastic bargain buy. But he doesn't work in the system that you that you're playing in. So he's not going to develop. It's just it's it's frustrating, and if if you're just going, you know what? We've already got X amount of money from from this big transfer. Might as well take a shot at Salisu. See if I can teach him how to, how to teach him how to run the ball. Teach him how to pass. Sure, but that's the type of move you want to make in your first season, just to go, yeah, sure. Let's throw a dart at the wall. See see if I can see if I can get an amazing centre back. To to do that and all of a sudden have to rely on him by selling Bestigar and going Salisu. It's your time to shine when he's not ready to in that. That particular system, it doesn't make much sense from a squad building standpoint.
1: And I and I think that that really speaks to this lack of Yannick Vestergaard, who also hasn't looked great since since leaving Southampton. It's it's like you break up a perfect marriage and you go and you're trying to have this affair with someone else, and it's just not working, right? That's that's really what the, the Vestergaard situation feels like. He just uh, he just needs to come back, and I think the Hasselhuthel really misses him and i think you're right silesta just doesn't work in the system and it's that that ball playing center back has been missing and that's not to say that there haven't been players who have been playing exceptionally well for this southampton squad i, I mentioned tino livermento uh, last week in the fantasy section i think that he's a player who has just been has just kind of been forgotten about but he's having a sneakily good season james ward prowse has been excellent as always you mentioned adam armstrong he's been he's been really good, but cohesively this unit isn't working. And I think that, I think that that really goes to show that this message is wearing off, but, uh, and that it might just be best for, for these squads to move on. You know, it, there's no, there's no shame in that. And sometimes things don't work to re, to return to this metaphor of uh, of a broken relationship. Sometimes you love each other and it just doesn't work because life is a little hard. And I think that they've been trying it for too long, but uh, it doesn't work out
0: be a fun conversation when they bring in Pardew as this is, here's your new dad, <laughs> Alan Pardew. Show him with the dancing meme. But moving on to uh, Leeds United at Chelsea. Saturday at 10, uh, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Bielsa has started to turn the ship around for Leeds with uh, with a win and two draws in the last three matches. They've sorted out the leaky defense with players coming back healthy now. And although the star- they're not scoring bucket loads right now, they did stick to past the pretty competent uh, Brentford defense. Can Rafinha and Bamford lead the Peacocks to a surprise win this weekend at Stanford Bridge?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think so. They played, they played well against Brentford. I, I thought they were worth their money for that win. They, they looked really good and with Bamford coming back and him working with Rafinha again, who's looked incredible this season. And especially with Jack Harrison underperforming for, for this lead squad and the number of injuries they've had, the fact that they have Paddy Bam's back is is huge. I think I think it's a monumental turning point for this season for Leeds. And, you know, Chelsea's going to be a really tough fight and one of the one of the fiercest and oldest derbies in in the Premier League. Two teams that just don't like each other and haven't ever liked each other. This this should be a really, really good game. And especially as a neutral,
0: this is something you should be turning on. It definitely, it definitely should be. Bamford, as you mentioned, he scored he scored 17 goals last season, was a crucial part to be also the tack. And so far, he's already scored twice, including his goal to tie things up at Brentford last weekend. Having Bamford in the squad, he was really a surprise last season because everyone thought he was just a championship striker. And with, through his success last year, he got himself into uh, in and around the England squad even. So to have him back in the squad, to have this lead squad finally back healthy, a lead squad that... I think me and you weren't shy about uh, projecting them to be in and around Europa League this year. Kind, ironically, kind of like Everton, even though both those predictions kind of fell apart as soon as injuries started happening. But this Leeds squad, when healthy, I think can compete and give Chelsea a game on its day. I'm not even. I'm not going to say that they're going to beat them, but it's not going to be the typical Leeds United typical as in this past decades Leeds, not not going all the way back to the 90s with Leeds but it's not going to be that typical Leeds Chelsea match this is going to be a good match
1: yeah I agree and especially when you consider that they have to play Chelsea Manchester City Arsenal and Liverpool in their next four matches that's uh, that's, a, that's good, be also gonna be doing a lot run, of squats and it's a brutal run and it's gonna take everything out of this. This squad, Leeds fans might not be uh, sitting too pretty, and considering they, are, they only have 16 points so far this season and are 15th in the table, you have to look convincing in these games. You can't you can't get drubbed four 0 And we've talked about how good um, Chelsea, Liverpool, and Manchester City are this season. They're in a different they're in a class of their own. Frankly, they they it's going to be between those three teams, and no one else is going to even have a sniff. At uh, those top three places, so you know, I think it's about looking competent. Um, is is the story here? And getting Patrick Bamford back, even though he's doubtful to start, I imagine we'll see him at some point as Bielsa eases him back into the squad. Ra- Rafinha is important. Calvin Phillips, who left the game, uh, left the game early against Brentford, but is expected to be back. Will be will also be an important member. So. You know, I think it's as I've said, it's it's just about fighting. And that's something that a Bielsa squad always will have, and especially in a game that means this much, you know, I think I think it'll be tough, but uh but if they look competent and if they look like they're gonna play is what you can ask for and just hanging around, right? Because we'll talk about this Chelsea squad there, a squad that's battered and bruised, they're missing frankly, their three starting midfielders. Um, and so if Leeds are just in this game, it'll be it'll be a plus for them, I think.
0: Exactly. And going forward to murder's row of games, I guess it's the best time for Leeds to face Chelsea going into this match because on, when, on Wednesday, Chelsea do against Nante in Petersburg, 3-3 in a match that oh, it would probably worry many Chelsea fans. Although they were using a heavily rotated squad with a ton of experiment uh, experimenting in terms of positions and personnel, like uh, starting Rhys James in the midfield, uh, starting uh, uh, Malang Sa as well, Kappa starting a front two of Lukaku and, and Timo. As as fa- uh, football, fa- uh, football manager fans, me and you, I think we both agree the most entertaining matches to manage are the ones you're just throwing shit against the wall to see what sticks, going, ah, screw it, I'm going to try out this combination today. Oh, 100%. 100%. Hmm. Playing the bench teams always the best matches, but that's kind of what Tuchel was doing against San St. Petersburg. So although they drew 3-3, he was just working some stuff out in a in a group that he was already certain he was he was moving forward. And I guess good thing for a Chelsea fan saying no Kepp is not the starting goalkeeper. <laughs> that was at all up for debate. But also the week the weekend prior in Chelsea's match, they lost against West Ham, which I'm sure we'll be talking about in next segment. And to for Leeds to be able to get at Chelsea this coming weekend. I'm thinking it's a it's a good good time to face them because we also have no idea what Chelsea's midfield is going to be looking like because they've been snake bitten with injuries so far with Jorginho, Kovicic, uh, Conte all missing this game for sure. So, Declan, who do you think is going to be in there?
1: You know, you hope that Ruben Loftus Cheek is okay. He's one of those players who I've always had a soft spot for, um, but it doesn't look like he's going to make this game. Kai Havertz might not might not make this game, so you know maybe Saúl will. We'll get a chance, despite what uh, what Conte said the other week about him, where he's like, "I don't know where he goes from here," which is not something you ever
0: want to hear from your manager. Imagine,
1: imagine, imagine that. That's 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 brutal.
0: Um, After you know, not even a season of working under him, first, your first season, I don't know where he's going to be going. Yeah, that's that's rough. Um, you know,
1: there's Ross Barkley, there's Mason Mount, and then you start uh, Werner Lukaku up front, but it is, it is dicey in that midfield for sure. And not that many options that can play defensive midfield. The only one of the list that I, that I picked through is Saul can play defensive midfield. You can ask Reese James to play defensive midfield. Maybe you move Malong Sar up into the midfield, but uh, it's not looking good. And that's why I'm of the opinion that like, if leads are just in this game, it is, it is winnable. It's, it's drawable. It's If you try and play through the middle on this Chelsea squad, and I'm sure that Thomas Tuchel will do everything in his power to, to try and negate for this, for this, for these consequences, they have fantastic wide players and um, it's never easy to play a Chelsea squad that has the talent that they do, but you know, injuries are a big determining point. In the season, and it looks like they've been bitten by the bug, and they've bitten by the bug pretty hard.
0: I'm sure going forward, this game uh, facing a high intensity lead side, Calvin Phillips is looking at his chops right now. Yeah, I got to go up against that midfield. Are you kidding me? Yeah, (laughs) like this is going to be. Honestly, I might even change up my prediction because I'm pretty sure I'm always going to predict Chelsea to win this match. I may be feeling like an upset here. Now, now you've in the midfield. But we'll find out later on as we have, sadly, we now have to gloat. Or I have to now let Declan gloat a little bit as his bubblers beat Chelsea 3-2 last weekend. So Declan, your thoughts on the match? That
1: sounded like it physically pained you to say.
0: It did. It did.
1: That West Ham have in one of two teams to beat Chelsea and the only team this season to beat uh, to beat Liverpool
0: um, don't ask Allison about that you're gonna get, you get a mad response
1: yeah but Alison is is
0: not someone that we should
1: be listening to I don't think um, you know I think that the injury injuries you mentioned it's tough we when you we have no when we have no Ogbonna and Kurt Zuma goes down injured and Ben Johnson goes down injured and Aaron Cresswell is injured. So to see that and to still be able to pull off a win, I think really speaks to the fantastic job that David Moyes is doing on with this West Ham team. It's, it's uh, it's, it's, it's incredible. I, I have no words to describe the way that uh, David Moyes, is managing this team. Everyone is pulling in the same direction. And I think that really showed. And then you get the craziness of that game where there's the penalty that Mendy gives away that just looked like he forgot how to play. And then there's the freak goal by Arthur Masuaku, his first, uh, you know, the game was chaos and chaos benefited West Ham and chaos will usually benefit West Ham, um, especially when they take on a team like Chelsea, but if we're talking about injuries specifically, West Ham have two senior fit centre-backs, and that's really worrying. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of uh, Issa Diop. I think that he just needs the opportunity to, sh- to shine. He's a natural leader. He was the captain of Toulouse at the age of 21. He has come to West Ham. He's been in and out of the squad and a player who, who's kind of lost his way, but I think one that is very, very good, Kurt Zuma looks like he's going to be out for 12 weeks. Who knows how long Ben Johnson is going to be out for. Cresswell has resumed light training and, you know, you hope he's back, but you you just don't know. Um, you know, this Burnley squad is no pushover. But they're a squad that seems to have been playing their best lately and they haven't been winning. So that's one thing that 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 gives me some hope. Um, there's some youth options they're playing tonight in the, uh, in the Europa league, but they don't, they, they didn't look convincing in the first 15, 20 minutes. And that's tough. And I'm talking specifically about Jamal Baptiste and Ajay Alisi, um, who, you know, are academy prospects. And we've seen recently some great players come out of our academy, Declan Rice being the first first name that uh, I think everyone will point to Connor Coventry's out on loan Ben Johnson who's been unreal for West Ham this season but uh, it's it's getting tough for this West Ham team and you know I think that this is really this is really what will test David Moyes's uh, management is how he deals with these injuries especially the long-term injuries to his two key center backs
0: yeah, and as as you mentioned with uh, Issa with Diop, all he's needed is the opportunity. Well, he has the opportunity now. And looking at the squad, you guys really need a centre-back this January. That's first and foremost. But for right now, I wouldn't mind on paper the idea of Issa Diop and Declan Rice partnership, as Issa Diop being the more traditional centre-back, much better in the air, much, much more of the – I guess of the Silesu mold of center back as opposed to Declan Rice's ball ball movements, but you guys just need something coming, uh, something coming through. And with the amount of Academy guys you have, you have in and around the squad, although not of all of them, not all of them may be ready right now. It's just about mixing and matching, seeing what seeing, what you could duct tape together before January, uh, before January or just to get to January. So make sure you guys don't give up that many points, because right now you're in third in the Premier League. Like this is, oh, excuse me, you're in fourth in the Premier League. West Ham has been really high up in the table, so you're not going to be overly worried about a complete free fall as of yet. But it's just about patching together to see what works for until January, where you can bring in some replacements. But moving on to Burnley, as... They've never changed. It's it's Burnley. It's the same Sean Dice Burnley you've seen for the past decade. They're a little boring, old school. To quote the name of the, the name of the episode, they play long ball, just kick it, kick it up to a to a couple strong a couple strong strikers who are good in the air. It's it's more run of the mill stuff from them. But although that they've been on a run of one win, four draws. Making sure they get points each and every week, which normally keeps you afloat and keeps you up. Right now, Burnley is in 18th in the Premier, tied for the least amount of points in, in the Premier League. Well had on goal difference. They're head-on goal difference by six goals. So they're not going to be losing on that. But if you look at the underlying numbers with Burnley, I'm thinking that the clock's about to strike midnight on this on, on this uh, Premier League run that they've been on for the past. I think you has been approaching on a decade. So think closer to 10 years than there's five. So it's it's not looking not looking good right now because Burnley this season has only kept a clean sheet in two out of 14 matches. And for a team that has a reputation of being very solid defensively, they just haven't been. But Burnley also ranks second, uh, second to last in terms of possession with an average of 30, 39.5% each game which isn't that good. It's just seeming like a bit of a recipe for disaster. So can you see, Declan, Sean Dyche potentially turning this around at some point, trying a new tactic? Maybe, hopefully. What do you think?
1: It, it's tough. Burnley are a provincial squad who have made it to the Premier League and have looked convincing over the years, but they haven't improved. And I, I, I can't see them doing it. Uh, I said uh, just a little bit earlier that they look like they've been playing their best and they haven't been winning. And that is the most troubling thing. You have Newcastle who, who look like they have some hope, a hope they haven't had in, I don't know, four years, five years that Eddie Howe has, you know, he's come in and he's turned things around. People are singing Joel Linton's name. Jesus, who would have (laughs) thought that people would be singing Joel Linton's name because I didn't. You have, you know, Alan St. Maximin. The golfing quality is, is, is drastic. Dean Smith looks like he has reminded Norwich that they can play football. Um, I don't think that Norwich will survive, but you know, you never know. They look more likely than Burnley though. And I, I think that I think that Sean Dyche will be back to picking worms in uh, in the championship pretty soon.
0: Who do you think is more likely? Norwich or Southampton?
1: Southampton, just because... I, I quality? Think the quality on that squad is higher.
0: I think so as well, but if you just look on your form, oh, I don't know if Norwich is even making up enough points to really surpass them, but it's it's close at the bottom. Because there's so much, so many teams at the bottom of the league who could be going down. Newcastle, I don't think is going down, even though the the bottom with ten points. I I just I believe in anyhow. Just yeah, call, call I, me crazy. That
1: and the money that they'll spend in January, you, you'd imagine they'd bring in some players um, to just do the job. Mm-hmm. Norwich seem to be plastered to the bottom. They're headed in the right direction, is Norwich. But uh, yeah, I think if I'm predicting predicting now and I think that looking at the table is a fool's errand until until about this time but uh yeah. you know I think that I think that if I'm predicting now it'll be Watford Burnley and Norwich who who will be the ones who go down Newcastle will just stay up um if if I was if I was a betting man but I am a betting man and I am putting a bet on Chris Wood to score. They're going to score. So if you want some, some free advice, Chris Wood has scored in basically every single game he's ever played against West Ham. So put a fricking bet on. Um, I, I, I I assure you that Chris Wood will
0: score. I'm going to put more than 50 cents on it. That's the big question. No, probably not. (laughs) Well, college students have, the college students have bills to pay. Small of the story. And that's taking us to halftime. This week, you're going to be playing higher or lower. It's a pretty simple game where we start off by picking a category, a statistical category. Uh, this week, it's going to be number of Premier League yellow cards. As uh, since last weekend, 40 yellow cards were handed out over the weekend, which was a ton. So we're going to be doing all time Premier League yellow cards. I'm going to be saying a name starting off. The first player is going to be Fed with 19 yellow cards. And Declan's job is to tell me whether or not. Mark Noble has more or less yellow cards than Fed. Fed, who is on nineteen, more. You, I mark. No- mark Noble. I think,
1: I think Mark Noble is in the top ten all time of, of Premier League yellow cards.
0: The golden boy of West Ham. He's a he's a naughty golden boy. He has eighty five yellow cards.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, he's. <laughs> Dirty player, should you say? No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Just had to twist a little over there. But is he dirtier than Claude McAlele? I do not think he's dirtier than Claude McAlele. So the number to beat is 85, Claude McAlele. 21 yellow cards. Yeah. So you are on to round four. Who has more yellow cards? Claude McAlele with 21 or... Patrick Vieira.
1: Ooh, that's tough. That's really tough. My heart is telling me lower, but my brain is telling me higher. So I'm torn. So oh, I'm wish. so I'm torn. You go with your heart. Let's you say with your head? Patrick Vieira has less yellow cards than Claude Makélélé.
0: No, I'm sorry, Declan. You should have gone with your head. Patrick Vieira has 79 yellow cards. Oh, wow. Oh wow! Ooh, ooh! Now, in your defense, they did play relatively the amount of the same time in the Premier League, so it's which is, not which exactly what I
1: was thinking. This. And like, I know that Vieira, I, I know that he
0: that the position he played would have given him
1: the opportunity to get more yellow cards, but I just I never associate him with that. That was mm-hmm. my
0: thinking. I would agree, but I think I'd have in the back of my head he had a massive rivalry with Voikin. Roy Keane is one of the most one of the dirtiest players in the Premier
1: League too. I think I think I think Roy Keane might be second only to Gareth Barry in yellow cards.
0: Well, just just to say, the next guy I had out underneath Joey Barton. No, you think he has more or less than oh, uh, that? Oh, way more. Way more. He has one less. Seventy-eight.
1: What? Oh, that is that's outrageous.
0: Yes, I know. I was stunned when I saw that. But you know what? Probably yeah he has more straight reds. <laughs> he didn't waste time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's
1: true. That's true. That's true. That's a good point.
0: And that's going to bring halftime to a close. Well done Declan. Actually that was well, well yeah on no, round 4 there. Yeah. Honestly for high or lower, that's that's perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah, especially cuz I suck at trivia.
1: I think I think I think that that is the only thing that this podcast has ever proved to that
0: you know, higher or lower is not for me. Oh, I'm I'm still recovering after that horrible clock game. What was that last week? Two weeks ago, yeah. Two weeks ago, that was. I'm I'm really seeking redemption from that clock game.
1: Well, I think that uh, next time when we have a guest on, I would I would also like to play to play co- clock.
0: Um to play Fergie time. Fergie time. So just shifting the work to me again, saying, yeah, yeah you, John, you do. the. Well, I'm not
1: saying you should do it next week. Next week, I'll have my own trivia game planned, but uh, yeah. And uh, just a, just a quick shout out once again, if you haven't had the opportunity and you do want to send us some trivia questions, please feel free to reach out at uh, debart 14 on Twitter or at John Townsend 99. We'd love to include you in, uh, in some of these, send us whatever game you want to, you want to create, whether that's Chess Clock or Fergie Time, sorry, whether that's Fergie Time or it's higher or lower, Tuba uh, ch- Mode Teams or whatever you want. Please get in touch.
0: Definitely. Love hearing your suggestions or stuff we want to talk about. May even in the future do start doing a mailbag segment where it's just could be asking anything or t- telling a football story you have. Uh, love, for, love to uh, get some interaction with the audience going. But that's going to be taking us to the second half now for the Match of the Week. Aston Villa at Liverpool, Saturday at 10, uh, 10 a.m. This is one I've been waiting for ever since Gerard got hired to manage Aston Villa. My first thought was when is he facing Liverpool? Specifically, when is he facing them at Anfield? And we're getting that this weekend. Steven Gerard's return to Anfield. I'm pumped for it. Declan, how excited are you for this matchup?
1: I think that, um, I think that there, there will be a very nice ceremony planned beforehand. Do you think that they have to give him the captain's armband back? Is is that how it works?
0: Does he get the Liverpool armband? He has the Liverpool armband on the sideline of Aston. Villa. Uh, on the sideline for the other team. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's only right. Have Steven Gerrard there. You have to.
1: Did they ever strip him of the captaincy? I don't think so. I think they've only ever had assistant captains after St- Stephen Gerrard.
0: It would be nice to see post-match him going up to uh, Jordan Henderson. I'm thinking I'm sure they're going to have some hugs, something all like that on the sidelines. I imagine so. I imagine so. But do you know what I find weird? That that same rhetoric about
1: Captain, or again, that same rhetoric hasn't been there for that. We saw with Rafa Benitez um, as we have with uh, Steve, Stevie G, that there's no agent, agent Gerrard. There's only agent Rafa.
0: I'd argue Rafa didn't leave on the best terms. As opposed to to Gerard, where even though he left like even though he left off the let it slip and all that stuff, it's Stephen Gerard. You can't give that much of the city. And yeah, but actually, as I say that, I'm also thinking there was a period of time where he was going to Chelsea. That was that was set in stone. I believe it was just prior to the to, just prior to Istanbul, where he was dead set on a on a big money move where he wanted to go to Chelsea. So I I don't know actually. That's that's interesting. Uh, interesting he's point. That,
1: he's the golden boy. There 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 will never be a bad word said about Steve Stevie G. in in, in this in the city of Liverpool, he is he's their boy. Much like Francesco Totti is uh, the boy of mm-hmm. Roma. He is he is he is there. So I think I think it's always special to to see these these type of players come come home. And it's not like it hasn't been been deserved by uh, Stevie G. He's had had a rough time adapting to life in the premier league but uh, his his Aston Villa squad look like they're look like they're ticking his ideas seem to be taking hold and i think that this really should be a good game but uh, we all know that you're not watching it for the quality of football because aston villa will get rubbed for nothing
0: well that that really takes the steam out of my next question Declan, do you think you have a, they have a chance but I me mean, to defend villa for a second they've have had done remarkably well in in facing tough opposition they almost beat city they lost uh, lost against them 2-1 but watching that match they did a great job at limiting high quality chances going yeah we're fine losing losing the possession battle as long as we make sure you don't have Easy tap You're going to have to work for your goals. And facing this limitable side that for, that gets so many goals on a counterattack using Mane's pace, Jota's pace, uh, Salah's pace. If they put enough guys behind the ball to make sure that they're not getting any easy counterattacks, make sure that, that they don't get enough easy counterattacks, that they just limit the chances and try and nick something on the other end on the corner or something. I think they could potentially get a result in this match. Am I going to be picking them? Would you have to wait and find out in, uh, in stoppage time? But I think, I think it's not an easy four 0 drubbing as, as you seem to believe that there's going to be.
1: I just think that this Liverpool squad is, is a class above and, you know, Villa did do exceptionally well against, against city. You do mention that uh, rightly so, and they have been playing some good football. They've, looked convincing in the matches that they have played but uh I don't know I I just think that the the two teams sit up against each other pretty well in favor of Liverpool I think that the pace that Liverpool have will will be what undoes uh will be what undoes Villa and Villa have not looked exceptionally convincing against teams that uh that play that play high pressing styles
0: Add to this analogy, I'm um, oh, uh, not so much analogy, to add to my devil's advocateness of Aston Villa against uh, Liverpool. Yes, I did just say devil, devil advocateness. It's a word. I'm going with it. But looking at the past five matchups, lost against West Ham, 3-2. I'm sure Declan would love to talk more about that one, but that's well in the past. We're not going to be. Uh, beat Arsenal 4-0. Beat Southampton 4-0 beat Everton 4-1, and beat Wolves 1-0. Absolutely drubbed an Arsenal team that was going for it for a lot of the match. They, they figured they can go reasonably toe-to-toe with them. They weren't exactly sitting all the way back going for a draw. So they opened themselves up to the counterattack and lost against Southampton. They learned by, 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 uh, by the Gergen press. That does not work against, against uh, Liverpool when you are Southampton. They got dropped 4-0 against against Everton a Rafa the side that defensively has not been really solid all season has also prioritized going for a, going for a quick counter-attack doing stuff like that leaving themselves open and Salah broke through with a with a goal off of the colon miss and Jota I believe also broke through there's a couple there's a couple high quality chances that happen on the counter-attack but then Wolves this past weekend only beat them one nil on a 94th minute equaliser by Davocorrigi, Vuk- uh, this type of match, I think, is the blueprint for how Aston Villa get a result this weekend, where they don't open themselves up at all. They are going for a draw from kickoff by limiting those chances by maybe getting something on on the on the break. I think that's how you can get a result against this Liverpool side by going. You know what? We are not going to be... It's not going to be death by a thousand paper cuts. You're not just going to be opening us up and giving us a heart attack every 15 minutes. We're going to be sitting back, waiting for you to screw up so we can take the ball go the other way. We're not going to be trying to press overly and get the ball back immediately. I think this Villa squad, the way gerard has been managing them, is actually structured in a way that could potentially upset this Liverpool team this weekend.
1: You know, when we've seen... Gerard's ta- tactical flexibility in Europe when he was with Rangers and playing teams that are traditionally better than his Rangers squad, and he did set up in this way. And you know, you mentioned Wolves. I think the better example is West Ham. Not to toot my own team's horn, but you know, you ride your. But that's luck.
0: exactly what you better do. <laughs> no, no, no.
1: But you ride your luck a little bit. You set up to defend. You take advantage of moments of chaos and and you capitalize when you need to. And you know. There's not many better strikers to do that in the league than Oli Watkins. Um, I think that he's exceptional and he's been exceptional this season once again. For this Villa squad, you have John McGinn, who's an absolute warrior in that midfield. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I do say off out of hand that it's a it's an easy four 0 drubbing just because it's Liverpool. But there is a blueprint blueprint to beat this Liverpool team. It's about what Liverpool team shows up on the day. I think is is the ultimate question. And if it's the team that um, we saw at the beginning of the season, it's going to be a tough day for Villa. But, you know, recently they've looked like they, they could be got at Um, midweek. They, they conceded the goal first to, to AC Milan and they didn't look convincing the whole time. They looked a little bit off the pace. They heavily rotated in that game. You know, you, you talk about wolves. They had a number of chances in that game. They, I think the scoreline is a little bit unfortunate, but it also speaks to how tough of a time that they find in breaking down a low block. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that's how we see Gerrard's team set up. And there is the possibility of them nicking, nicking a, a point or nicking, nicking all three points. But uh, I, I do think that this game is heavily favoring Liverpool.
0: It probably is. Whenever you're dealing with Liverpool, they're such a great team. Um, but we also could see quite a lot of rotation uh, with, with, with this match, with this Liverpool side, particularly with starting Divock Origi, which I think will be interesting because he's a guy who comes off the bench. He's an energy guy, can, can nick a goal late. So it'll be interesting to see how Klopp lines up his team. But we're going to be now moving on to Fantasy Corner, and I'm going to be handing it over to Declan for some fantasy advice. Declan, how can, we, how can I save my team?
1: I have two names for how you can save your team. I'm going to beat this drum until until it's dry pick up jared bowen please pick up jared bowen please i think that this match at the weekend is perfectly made for him where you know all he needs to do is get the ball and run and fight a couple guys off burnley play championship football and you know i think that i think that jared bowen is a championship player in the premier league with that skill so if you haven't already, please pick Jared Bowen up. He is the perfect replacement for you to, to the likes of a Saeed Ben-Rama, who I know a lot of people have in their team. And Saeed Ben-Rama hasn't scored since September. You know, I thought, he was, I thought he was Alessandro Del Piero. He's not. He is, uh, he is Saeed Ben-Rama. He's looked pretty average the past couple of, couple of weeks. And if you want a big, uh, a big performance option, you get Jared Bowen. The other guy coming off injury, Patty Bams. Um, a lot of people are looking for that premium striker to take them over the edge, especially given that the midfield has traditionally been the place where they're getting a lot of points from. If you have a guy like Mikel Antonio, who's really struggled in recent weeks or a rule Jimenez who has struggled in recent weeks, take that money and buy and pick up Patty Bams. He's 7.6 million pounds where uh, Jimenez is 7.5. So if you have the little bit of extra, extra cash sloshing around in your, tr- in your balance, do yourself a favor. Pick up
0: Paddy Bams. He's going to
1: score. He's the focal point of this Leeds attack.
0: Especially getting him before his price goes up, because now that he's back, he's going to start scoring goals, and that price could be starting to rise high above that 4.9 million. Uh, he's right now slotted at. But now moving on to stoppage time, as we're going to be running through all the games in the week, picking who we think we're going to, uh, who who we think is going to win, or whether the match is going to end up in a draw. I have 30 seconds to do so. And Declan, are you ready? Yes. Okay, three, two, one. Watford at Brentford. Draw. Wolves at Manchester City. City. Leeds at Chelsea. Chelsea. Aston Villa at at Liverpool. Liverpool. (laughs) Southampton at Arsenal. Arsenal. Man United at Norwich. United. West Ham at Burnley. You already know. Newcastle. (laughs) Newcastle at Leicester City. Leicester City. Spurs at Brighton. Brighton. Everton at uh, Everton at Palace. Draw. And even with all the hiccups still under 29 seconds. John, are you ready? Yes, I am. Watford, Brentford. Brentford. Wolves City. Man City. Leicester Chelsea. Leeds Chelsea. You brought me in. Leeds. Villa Liverpool. Liverpool.
1: Southampton Arsenal. Arsenal. United Norwich. Man United. West Ham Burnley. West Ham. Leicester <laughs> Newcastle. Leicester City. Spurs Spurs, Brighton. Draw.
0: And Everton at Crystal Palace. And things off with an exciting draw. And that's going to do it for this week. Declan, let the listeners know where to find you as always. You can
1: find me at DeBarp14. And uh, I just finished up my exciting project for school. So if you have some time and really want to dive deep into the inner workings of the Italian ultras and uh the effect of the 1960s and 70s on said ultras. Please go read uh my most recent blog entries uh called Kudervazz.
0: Yeah, make sure to read, it's a fantastic read. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at John Tanzan99. If you have any ideas, as previously mentioned as well. Uh, for games topics anything you want to hear us talk about on the podcast feel free to send them in um, either uh, tweet us me or Declan or sending uh, sending them on an email at site at gmail.com that'd be great because we'd love to hear from you and that's gonna do it for the show this week we'll be back here on on Monday to talk about all the matches and storylines coming out of this weekend and a preview Arsenal vs West Ham and Bielsa vs Pep Guardiola and all the other matches And if you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating. It really helps grow the show. Thank you for listening.